Hey, y'all. Welcome to Truth's Table, midwives of culture for grace and truth. I'm McKemini. And I'm Christina. This table is built by Black women and for Black women. So welcome to the table, C. How you doing, girl? I am doing good, especially since we're in South Carolina today at the beach. (laughs) We're on location. (laughs) Apparently the beach is our new location. Praise God. Exactly. We're living our lives like it's golden. (laughs) Pretending, pretending. Exactly, exactly. Faking the funk. No, but uh, yes, there's two of us at the table because it is a Black Girl Magic interview episode. Cue the charm. I mean, really? Really? (laughs) Yes, and we have the distinct honor of having Dr. Joy Bradford from Therapy for Black Girls at the table with us. Hello, Dr. Joy. Hello. (laughs) We're so glad that you're at the table with us. We really are. And I know our listeners are hype. (laughs) (laughs) I'm very happy to be at the table. (laughs) Well, look, listeners, just in case y'all don't know who Dr. Joy is, let me read a little something about her so you can get hit. Okay. Uh, Dr. Joy Harden Bradford is a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and the host of the popular mental health podcast, Therapy for Black Girls. Her clinical focus is helping women recover from breakups, and she is passionate about creating experiences and holding space for Black women to become the best possible versions of themselves. Her work has been featured in Bustle, Women's Health, BuzzFeed, Teen Vogue, Essence, and O, the Oprah magazine. And she was nominated in Huffington Post as one of 10 Black female therapists you should know. Welcome to the table, Dr. Joy. (laughs) She is phenomenal and she is doing big things, y'all. So we are just so happy to have you with us. (laughs) Thank you. Pleasure is all mine. Yes. Well, you know, for our listeners who may not be familiar with your um, podcast and your work, why don't you just um, tell us a bit about your story? Who is Dr. Joy? Yeah. So at at the core, I am just a little Louisiana girl. Um, (laughs) And I do feel like much of that has shaped kind of like my work and definitely a huge part of my personality. Um, Mm -hmm. So uh, I have two younger brothers, grew up in southern Mm -hmm. Louisiana in a very small town called Payne Courtville. Um, Very, Mm -hmm. very cute story because there used to be a truck that delivered bread and it would run out before it got to my town. So it literally translates to short of bread town wow <laughs> wow i know right little louisiana there you go for there y'all. you go wow uh, <laughs> yeah so you know grew up with an incredibly large family like my mom has uh 11 mm-hmm. siblings uh six sisters mm-hmm. so so it feels like there has always just been like black girl magic in my life even before we had a term for mm-hmm. that right um you know yes. and just incredibly blessed to have been kind of cultivated and raised by so many incredible women that I feel like has really shaped the work that I do and am passionate about. So yeah, yeah I'm very, very excited about that history. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. No, that's, that is great. That's a great family story, especially about the naming of your town. That that tickles me. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm curious, Dr. Joy, about the experience that you have when people find out not Dr. Joy, but that Joy is a psychologist. And 
<laughs> Does that ever get weird for you? I'm saying this from personal experience. So, so yeah. So can you give us a sense of, of what that experience is like for you? Yeah. So two different things will happen, right? One, people will be totally confused about what a psychologist is and think that I'm actually yeah. a psychic. Um, <laughs> right. I'm oh, sure you've had yes, that experience. So you have a word too. for me. Um, like, <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So like, are you reading my mind? And it's like, no, that's not actually what I do. Um, But then they will also then I feel like get a little tense sometimes and be like, oh, have you been Mm -hmm. analyzing me? Mm -hmm. You know, that kind of thing. Um, And, you know, so you always have to kind of tell people like, you know, no, you know, just like you don't work between you work between nine and five. Those are my hours, too. (laughs) Like I'm not working, Mm -hmm. um, you know, if I'm not in the office, although I am always paying attention. Right. Like I do feel like is a bit of a For occupational sure. hazard, um, but I'm not, necess- no, I'm not necessarily Absolutely. analyzing. Absolutely. That's awesome. And so, yeah, because I was like, yeah, you know, psychology always like, I hate analyzing my every move. <laughs> How am I? How, what, what categories are they putting me into? So, um, what would you say, like, uh, just from your own clinical experience, um, what are some, re- and just understanding of like your own unique position of, uh, centering, you know, uh, Black women, um, African-American women specifically, what are some of the unique reasons that you say uh, as to why African-American women are maybe hesitant to pursue mental health treatment? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think we have to look at the history, you know, so Mm -hmm. psychology did not start with us, right? Like, so all of the theories and all of the, like, Mm -hmm. foundational knowledge is not necessarily based on us. So we really weren't Mm -hmm. a part of the foundations of it, right? So it is not necessarily something something that was built around us. So I think we also have to pay attention to, you know, how we have been treated in medical institutions, you know, the Tuskegee experiment, like all these things that we probably don't even know um, that have not even come to light yet. So I think that there has naturally and rightfully so been some distrust about trusting, you know, like medical type professionals. And and this is not even something where you're just like going to me and I'm like drawing blood, right? Like you're wanting, <laughs> you're expecting people to come to you and share some things that have not even seen the light of day that they have not dared yeah. to, to utter to other people sometimes. And so, right. you know, there is a real trust that needs to happen for somebody to be able to kind of be in a therapeutic space. And I don't think that that has always been welcoming or affirming for yeah. black women. I think that's I think that's clearly and accurately stated for sure. Um, so so what are some of the practical ways to help to overcome those barriers, whether it's a barrier of stigma or access or familiarity or economics? Um, obviously, your podcast is mm-hmm. a nonstop commercial for the importance and benefit. <laughs> Of, of black girl therapy. <laughs> so, so, so you are doing your part. Let me let you know. You are doing your part. <laughs> but, but yeah, I'm, I'm curious to know if you could identify for us maybe some other ways to help overcome those those barriers of stigma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I, you know, I do feel like the podcast plays a part of that. But I also feel like people are just becoming more and more comfortable mm-hmm. sharing their own personal stories with therapy. Um, You know, so like mm-hmm. you can pop on social media at any point and somebody is talking about like what their therapist told them, which I think is super cool. Right. Yeah. Like that people are sharing in that way, because I think that that makes it like, oh, this person goes to therapy. So it may be an OK thing for me to do, too. Um, yeah. I also think that, you know, 
uh, celebrities like Mariah Carey, of course, just coming out, sharing her struggles with bipolar disorder. Um, You know, other rappers and other, you know, singers and things have come forward about their challenges. So I think every time somebody else shares like, hey, this is a part of my story, too. It hopefully allows Mm -hmm. other people to kind of say, oh, this is something I'm struggling with, too, and I can get help around it. Um, But Christina, you do bring up a very important Mm -hmm. point around access, right? Because, um, you know, like we can commercial and for therapy and like hype people for therapy as much as we want, but there is still an accessibility mm-hmm. issue, um, you know, so even even in terms of like just changes with insurance, um, you know, a lot of therapists I think have had to or feel like they have had to make the decision about like getting off of insurance panels due to like just the bureaucracy that is sometimes involved with like getting paid from insurances. Um, And so, you know, Mm. that has definitely caused an issue. A lot of community mental health agencies have closed in a lot of our communities. So even if you couldn't go to a private therapist, there was typically like a community center that you could go to. And a lot of that doesn't exist. A lot of psychiatric hospitals have been closed. I mean, so, you you know, I feel like in one way we're doing like this push for people to seek mental health treatment, but then there really is not enough yeah, resources yeah. for everybody to get it, even if they wanted it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, me being the only person that's not a clinician at the table. <laughs> one, I think one of my, which I believe you need to be in therapy and going access is an issue for me at the moment. Um, but I think, and but one of the other barriers I'm, I oftentimes consider because I do anti-racism work, and so I have a lot of racial trauma. Um, that that's something that I will want uh, to be able to speak to a therapist about. But um, I, I think I would be a little leery about, like, how do you go about figuring out whether a certain therapist can handle that, that, that knows how to actually effectively um, speak into that and treat that. Does that make sense? Yeah, what I'm asking? absolutely. Uh, you know, Dr. Joy, because that's a real issue, I think, for many in our community is racial trauma. I mean, I've had friends go to therapists and it just did not go well. They, they couldn't open, they felt like they couldn't open up that part of absolutely. their life um, because a therapist is not equipped to handle that. Yeah. So can you speak to that? That that is a very real concern. And, you know, the last thing you Mm. want somebody to do is to have waited like six years before they finally made the call to see a therapist. And then they go to a therapist and have like an awful experience and they never want to try it again. Um, You know, so if we can try to prevent against some of that on the front end, then I think we are all served better. But, you know, that is Mm. a very real concern. And it, it is a concern and a conversation that, you know, a lot of us have been trying to have with like non-Black colleagues um, because people don't often understand like their biases or if they do, if they do understand yeah, it, yeah. they are not wanting to necessarily do anything about it. Right. And so, you know, mm-hmm. I feel like if you are a client or a potential client who is seeking treatment around those things, then I think you would have to be very upfront in saying like, this is a part of what I'm coming in for. Is this something that you feel like you could work with? Um, You know, I don't think it's a bad thing to ask, like, do you have any training in anti-racist work or what kinds of uh, cultural sensitivity or cultural competence um, workshops or things have you engaged in so that I I at least know that you're trying and that you Mm. are, you know, kind of up on what's supposed to be happening. But I also think that therapists have a responsibility to make sure that that kind of language is present in their website. You know, like we know a lot about marketing and like what kinds of things speak to certain clients. And so, if you mm-hmm. feel like this is a population or an issue that you can work with, I think that needs to yeah. be clear in your language on your website. 
Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. Yeah, because I'm like, how do you how you go about assessing that? What do you do? And I think just because of the cultural climate, I I, I, I would hope that that some therapists are beginning to trend toward that and start to really move um, toward you know uh, developing at least um, some more of a, a better mm-hmm. understanding of that uh, uh, of that need the need for that for their. Uh, for their clients. And so, which kind of leads me to the next question about your own methodology. Like, are there like, just in your own experience, what methods have you found to be most effective in treating like African-American women? Like, in other words, are there like culturally specific treatment interventions that are very effective um, for uh, women within mm-hmm. our community? Yeah. I mean, sure. you know, and a lot of that is still kind of in progress, right? Like I said, you know, the foundations of the field have not necessarily centered around us, but but there yeah. have been some amazing work done by like Dr. Mm-hmm. Joy DeGruy around post-traumatic slave syndrome. Um, you know, so yes. there, there are definitely yes. um, the Association of Black Psychologists has a lot of like really good work that talks about, um, you know, kind of connecting to even like us coming over here and like how that trauma is mm-hmm. generational and kind of passed mm-hmm. on and, you know, kind of a part of our chemistry in some ways. Um, so, you know, so definitely mm-hmm. I am informed by all of that work, but I also think it's really important, um, at least my experience in working with Black women is that a lot of the things we are trained in terms of like being a blank slate and kind of like not allowing your mm-hmm. clients to like know anything about you and that kind of thing. Like my experience yeah, has been that that doesn't really work for the Black women I've worked with um, because it's very, it's, it's mm-hmm. very it's very off-putting, right? Like you're already wanting to wanting this person to come into this like office with you and they don't know anything about you. And then you're kind of expected to kind of be this like person who doesn't have a personality and can't share anything about like your yeah, reaction or yeah. whatever. Um, and that has not worked well for me. And so, you know, for me, it has been important to be able to connect with clients authentically, you know? So of course I'm not making my sessions about them, but you know, if there is a part of, um, you know, the latest episode of Queen Sugar that they watched and that feels like relevant to them then I want them to know like yeah I watched Mm -hmm. that too and I can connect with you there There and I understand you know I understand where you're coming from right so so for me it has been really important to um, be much more of myself in the therapy room and I feel like that has worked well for my clients. Yeah absolutely absolutely in some way that's an opportunity to model what we want to see from people right so um, yeah if you want authenticity we gotta we gotta show a little something a little something (laughs) Right. I mean, it doesn't become our therapy, but but come on, exactly. we're asking people to really exactly. put themselves out there. You know, another another thing that's really right. important um, to many to many Black women, but not all Black women, mm-hmm. um, uh, as a group that has probably the highest rate of religiosity in the country, along with um, Latinas, is Black women. And so I'm curious about the integration of faith and spirituality and religion in clinical practice. Um, and how people can even go about discerning that. Uh, for, I, I imagine we have mm-hmm. some people who could be listening right now who think like, I, I won't go to anybody unless, um, you know, they're connected to the church or my faith tradition, or I'm assuming that they're mm-hmm. not, you know, um, can you just speak speak to that, to the folks who have curiosity mm-hmm. around that issue? Yeah. And I think, you know, I think if that is important to you, then I think by all means, try to seek that out, um, you know, because if you 
if you feel like you're going to be more comfortable talking to somebody who has that kind of a background, then you'll likely be more um, open in the sessions and kind of maybe stick with it longer. So if that's important to you, then absolutely try to find that. Um, so for me, it has worked really well to kind of integrate that in whatever way the client brings it in. Um, so if somebody is like heavily involved in their church, you do want to be very careful not to make it an either and, um, you know, like, okay, I'm telling you something that completely goes against against your like religious beliefs because then mm-hmm. you are less likely to like buy into that. Right. But how can we maybe expand your thinking around this or how might this fit? How could we, you know, look at it from a different perspective so that, you know, mm-hmm. like if you're struggling with depressive symptoms, like, yes, we can pray about it, but can we also do some other things um, to kind of work with the prayer? Um, so for me, I have, I think you mm-hmm. have to be very careful around like not alienating someone's mm-hmm. faith and religiosity, but really making it a part of the treatment and not like a separate um outside kind of thing absolutely mm-hmm. yeah because i would imagine if you diminish that then that's gonna diminish your ability to actually build trust oh uh, absolutely that, that absolutely yeah yeah because yeah, it's so central to people's lives um right. uh, their core beliefs so yeah thank you for that mm-hmm. uh, now i mean i we have a, a question just about I mean, we know you just, uh, uh, Therapy for Black Girls just uh, <laughs> turned uh, one. Okay, you yes. just celebrated your one year anniversary earlier this week, if I remember correctly. Is that correct? Uh, yes. And I, how are you handling the the success uh, of the podcast? Has it been, again, talk to it, us about that. <laughs> it, it has been so incredible. Like, um, you know, like before January, I also had another job. So oh. I was, you know, working at a university and managing like a practice and the podcast all at the same oh. time. And so that that just became overwhelming and, and not manageable. Um, so now I am doing private practice. I have a pretty small private practice. And so it feels like the podcast and things related to the podcast have al- almost become my full time mm-hmm. job at this point. Um, which I never would have seen, right? right? Like I, I figured people would connect to it in a mm-hmm. way, uh, but I did not at all expect like the overwhelming support that has happened um, and the mm-hmm. way that the podcast has like opened up some incredible opportunities. I just never could have imagined. Yeah, this. I mean, it's been, I mean, I was like, wow, I feel like, I feel like I'm seeing something new for you like all the time. I was like, this is, this is great. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh. So, and now now tell us, are, are, I mean, are clients like now seeking you out? I would like, imagine like, like you Dr. are Joy, like getting people like wanting to come to you now, especially since you're in Atlanta. <laughs> Talk to us about that. I mean, seriously, like, what is that like? Are you having yes. to kind of push people yeah. to other people? Like, look, I can't take y'all all on or what's the deal? Yes, like, yes. And it is, it is funny, right? Because, you know, most people like eventually get clients from the podcast, but mm. for me, it, it started pretty rapidly. Um, So mm. most of the new referrals that I've gotten in my practice are people who have actually heard the podcast Mm -hmm. which I think is is good um because and I think helps them to know like okay this person would likely be the best therapist for me because they are they're hearing me talk every week um you know they kind of know what kinds of things I dig into Mm -hmm. and you know that Mm kind of thing um so it's interesting that they already kind of have a jump on like what kinds of conversations we will likely Uh be having in therapy because they've heard me (laughs) on the podcast yeah so it definitely has been um a marketing tool that I did not expect to kind (laughs) of um have such quick return on business. But no, it's great that you can then kind of inspire them and say, but I got a referral for you. I can't take it. But I got I got, I got somewhere you could go. So that's that's awesome. 
Exactly. Yeah, because the other thing that has happened is that the directory has like grown exponentially. Um, you know, so I started I started the directory in December of 2016. And by the end of that year, I had like 90 Whoa. therapists and now there are almost 700 therapists Whoa. in the directory. Wow. That's <laughs> yes. great. Your work is so, so important. How did that's you great. get interested in yes. this yeah, field? It has been incredible. Wow. Kind of like what's your, um, yeah, what connected you to wanting to serve in this way? There are tons of ways to yeah. serve. And I, I'm curious about how, it, and, and, and really I'm, what, who I have in mind right now are our mm-hmm. listeners who are mm-hmm. uh, undergraduate college students who are always thinking about, about vocational identity and what's next and what's the best way to use my gifts. And so, mm. yeah, I think your story could be really helpful for them. And, and even those of us who are maybe older students of life too, right? right. Um, would love to hear how you got into this, why it was of interest to you. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I think like many of us in the helping professions, I was like that friend in the group that everybody went to like, oh, I'm having a trouble with this, like help me work, talk through this or whatever. Um, So I started undergrad as a psych major because I figured I would always be going into the helping profession. Um, I initially anticipated that I would be more of a professor, like I thought I would be teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, But then mm-hmm. I did like some practicum work and realized like I actually don't like that very much. And so... Um, Um, You know, once I started doing like clinical rotations and stuff, that definitely felt like much more of a fit for me. Um, And even, you know, like I feel like my story is always evolving because even like a year ago, I didn't think I would be doing what I'm doing now. Right. And so I think that is something to kind of always be on the lookout for, like how your interests grow and expand um, and that you may start out thinking your life is going to look one way and then it takes a completely different turn. Um, You know, because I always imagined that I would, you know, just have like a pretty successful private practice like that. I would, you know, see 20 clients Mm -hmm. or so a week and, you know, maybe do some writing and stuff. Um, But, you know, this podcasting thing has definitely taken taken things in a very different turn. Um, But I do feel like it's a it's a great marriage of like all of the things that I'm interested in because I am like really techie kind of on the mm. side and also really mm. love like psychology and pop culture. So awesome. I feel like the podcast is really like a perfect marriage of all the things that I really enjoy. Yes. Yeah. I'm actually so glad that you brought up pop culture. Cause I was curious about um, your, uh, I guess your own methodology for infusing pop culture into the podcast. Cause you, you just uh-huh. did um, uh, just this week, you dropped the uh, episode of uh, a nice for what, which was based off of uh, mm-hmm. Drake's new song, which I keep playing over and over again. And so, <laughs> <laughs> it's my new theme song. And so, <laughs> so like talk to us about that. You, you mentioned Queen Sugar earlier, which I will also love. And so, yeah, just kind of like, uh-huh. what is your methodology or even if there is one um, behind <laughs> I'm fusing in pop culture and, you know, and all of those things that maybe you're interested in. Yeah, I feel like it's a really good excuse for like watching as much TV as I do. (laughs) (laughs) But but no, you know, like, and I already was like, again, since I'm so interested in it, like I always want to be kind of on the pulse of like what people are talking about, like to see like what kinds of conversations people are having. Um, But my goal for therapy for black girls, even before the podcast, when I was just blogging was to make mental health more relevant and accessible. And so I think when people only think about mental health as like panic attacks and like schizophrenia or something, then they get really like confused. Like, Oh, I can't, I can't see myself in that. Uh But when you talk about 
oh, what are you being nice for? Like, nice for what? Like, mm. what? why are you having to be so nice to people? Mm. What kind of boundaries do mm. you have? Then people can connect with that, yeah. right? People can connect with how they may be doing little things that are not helping them to be their best possible person. Um, so I'm always looking at different angles that I can bring in that I feel like will connect for people um, and really help them to kind of get the content. Yeah, that's so, it's so wise and so smart. It's an entry point, you know, into the lives of your clients. I think exactly. it's so smart. And you've even done um, being Mary Jane. And I'm like, you know, black women connect <laughs> to Mary Jane. So yeah, yes. I think it's just so, so smart and so wise. Um, and yeah, yeah, it, it helps people to actually trust you. Like, okay, she's in the know. She's not a robot. She's a real person. You watch this stuff too. <laughs> right. And, and you, I'm glad you mentioned that because an entry point, I think, is not a, a term I would have uh-huh. necessarily used, but you're uh-huh. right, right? Because if I can have a conversation with you about Drake, then I can have a conversation with you about panic attacks, yeah. right? Like, if I can get you to buy in on, at this piece, then when I need to talk to you about something that may be a little heavier or maybe a little more severe, then I've already got your trust, right? So you already are listening. Um, so it, it really, I think, is a good way for me to kind of have like a lot of different kinds of conversations with people. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's interesting. So, so I'm sitting here thinking like I probably need to listen to all of these things that you guys are referring to. But um, it's, 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 it's OK. I don't feel like my black card is going. I feel very secure with that. Very, very secure. But no, I was, but, I, but, I do, but I do love it. You're safe. You're pop safe. Culture and this access point, right? We, when we really care about people, we figure out the way to get to that access point because we want to mm. connect with them. And honestly, that's really at the heart of a bit of, of the work that we do with our podcast is wanting to connect. Yeah. So we develop access points to do that. So you got pop culture as an access point. But another thing that we see really impacting people, particularly in our community, African-Americans, is... Um, is the trauma from media images and 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 specifically I'm talking about trauma related to the denigration and abuse mm. of black Ooh. bodies and mm. so um, and just the onslaught of that via social media and 24-hour news and just rhetoric as well as images and I'm curious about how that's manifesting in your clinical practice and your work and what you're seeing uh, maybe just from the field in general about are clinicians trying to rise to that challenge to deal with what it means to take in these images for people of color? Yeah, I definitely see some clinicians doing that work. And there, of course, are other clinicians that I feel like really need to get on board. For sure. Um, But, you know, but I definitely have heard people talk about it. Um, You know, so like I mentioned, my practice is pretty small, but I also have a a pretty active Facebook community related to the podcast. Um, And so we were just having a conversation this week about like how people are dealing with like the news and social media. And there was so much commentary from women about just not even been engaging right like I just I can't watch it you know it's too much people talked about like that they have like unfollowed everybody and like just follow Mm -hmm. like certain things or keep up with certain groups and things that are interesting to them that they know won't be triggering um which I feel like is very different right like it's it's a very different experience to feel like you're actively engaging or disengaging from what's going on in the world um you know so in some ways that's very protective um and I encourage that but it also feels very scary, right? Like, could because when you're not engaging, then what are we missing? Yeah. But I need to not engage from my own mental health. So it's, it's a it's a very weird tension, um, you know, that I feel like a lot of us are struggling with. And I do always advocate for doing what you feel like is best. So people. Mm-hmm 
um, you know, do turn off like autoplay on their their uh, social media feeds so that those videos don't just pop up. Um, and I also think we need to really think about like, is it really useful for us to keep sharing this, right? Like, do we need to keep retweeting these videos? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, like I know some of it is around awareness, but I also don't think that people are always recognizing like the trauma that they're inflicting on themselves when they keep watching these things like I think people just don't know you know and and it is scary you know you can just open up your Twitter timeline and like there's a new hashtag or some new video um so it's it's very much like a Mm -hmm. a surprise attack kind of thing that you're not expecting that's true it is true and so yeah and it's just so hard to Mm -hmm. discern and even manage that it's just you're like i can't do this today yeah and you're just like i can't i can't i'm not gonna be on twitter for like for today you got because you just don't know what you're gonna get bombarded with you don't know what you're gonna get hit with so um yeah i mean i guess in that same vein just thinking about that uh that that trauma of seeing those videos, seeing um, the the desecration of black bodies, um, and wanting say a therapist that can enter into some of that. Uh, how is it? How important would you say is ethnicity um, when it comes to the selection of a therapist? I know that our listeners might want to know about just even some wisdom from you on what that you know, like how important that is. Is it for the the um, the therapist to actually share your ethnicity or a minority or what what are your own thoughts about that same sexuality um can you speak to that Mm -hmm. Um, yeah yeah i mean and that is a large part of why i started the directory because my experience has been that black women wanted other black women therapists Mm -hmm, um and so you know i think when something feels so unfamiliar you're looking for something anything that you can connect to that will make you feel safe in that environment and so again you know like we talked about before if um, faith is important to you, then try to find uh-huh. that. Just like if race or ethnicity or gender uh-huh. or sexual orientation, all of those things, whatever feels like it's going to be important to you and will help you to feel more comfortable in that space, then I definitely think that's what you should seek out. Um, but I don't think that that has to happen, uh-huh. right? You know, because like I said, even if all the black women in this country wanted therapists, there would not be enough black women therapists to be able to meet that need. So the truth of the situation is that some of us are not going to be able to see black women therapists. Mm -hmm. Um, And, but you can still have very therapeutic and healing relationships with therapists who are not other black women, you know, like the, the, I've not actually had a black woman therapist um, in all of the times that Mm -hmm. I've been in therapy, probably because of the work that I do, that I'm connected to so many black women therapists that it would, of course, not be appropriate for me to see, you know, one of them for therapy. Um, (laughs) And I've had had some great I've had some great therapeutic experiences, but I do think if you are particularly going in around something related to like race related trauma, then you do have to be extra careful, Um, you know, because there are some non-black therapists who get it, but I do feel like you may be taking a bit of a chance, um, especially if people are not explicit, like in their language, or if you have a conversation with them and you feel like, okay, I don't know if this actually will be a safe space Mm -hmm. for me to work through some of this stuff. No, that's that's really, really good feedback. Mm-hmm. And I think you've given us so much, um, our listeners and us too, so much to discern and to think about. I, I want to switch gears to a time of fun. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's my caveat. That's <laughs> my time of fun. Of, of, of forced fun, <laughs> as fun I call corner. it. Forced fun. But, um, 
But no, we've got a series of questions. And Kimmy and I have uh-huh. been joking back and forth about what to call this segment. I don't think we have a name yet. It's just, honestly, it's for, it, it might know. be Force Fun. But, um, I don't know. <laughs> force Fun, that's what Force Fun. The no Foreign fun fun. Corner. But Dr. Know. Joy, if you don't mind, we've got a series of questions for you. Uh, to Yeah, that I think our listeners would love to hear you talk about this. The first question up is, if I was to get in your car, what song is most likely to be playing? <laughs> right now, it would be nice for what? Yes. Gotcha. Yes. <laughs> Seeing yourself in the video and everything. Gotcha. <laughs> Exactly. exactly. I am Tracy Ellis Ross dancing in the silver Yes. In that jumpsuit. That was my favorite part. I was like, yes, black girl yes. joy and magic. Tracy yes. Ellis Ross. Yes. Oh, jumpsuit immediately. Yes, silver jumpsuit immediately. Exactly. Please. An army of jumpsuits. Yes. What about is, Car- is Cardi B playing? Is Cardi B playing in there too? Oh, absolutely. I'm going back and forth between that and uh, so She Bad is my favorite track on Cardi B right now. I, I like Best Life right now. I'm like, yes. <laughs> yes, I love that one too. Yes, yes. So, good stuff. Okay, so now, okay, so we done gotten your car. We're listening to Nice Food while we're listening to Cardi. Uh, now, if you had a superpower, what would it be? Hmm. Oh, yes. And why? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> why? Okay. I think being invisible, because I feel like I'm like yes. naturally like a nosy person. And so I, I always want to kind of know what's going on. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> and you know, that is funny, right? Because people will wonder like, oh, are you actually going to help or y'all just being nosy kind of thing? And it's like, well, not really, but I do have to ask you some questions to kind of get at what's happening. No, that's <laughs> That is funny. That's like being right. naturally cute. I love it. I, at least you're being honest. Because I was like, now that's a very odd choice for a black woman to want to be invisible. Because we always talk about how we hate how invisible we are. But I see. I see yeah. where you're going with it. It's well-educated nosiness is what it is. So, yeah. I, t- I totally get it. Exactly. Totally get it. Well, here's another one. What, exactly. So, Dr. Joy, what is your, what's that's your funny. favorite splurge food? Oh, so just living on the edge. Oh, uh, Chick Fil A milkshake. Mm-hmm. Chick Fil A milkshake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. What's your what flavor? What flavor is yours? Your, vanilla. Your oh, vanilla. Okay, vanilla. Uh huh. Yeah, very Ooh. vanilla. Ooh, so it's just always there. You know, because you know they do the seasonal ones. You know, where you be like, right? Yeah, oh, I, was I tried to get creative with that peach <laughs> one, and I was not feeling it. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of people always rave about it, but yeah. <laughs> so, I know. Not Dr. Joy. Not Dr. Joy. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, okay. So now we got, now we bumping nice for what? We're bumping invasion of privacy. You invisible. And so you, you got your, your Beats headphones. You just, you bop into that everywhere right. you are. Invisibly. Can't nobody see you. With the vanilla You got your vanilla milkshake in hand now. So answer this. Tell us how many times have you been to Wakanda? <laughs> oh! <laughs> I have only once been physically, but I don't feel like I ever really left. Come on. Come on. Say that. <laughs> Wakanda forever. <laughs> the bounce. The bounce. Wakanda bounce. Wakanda oh, bounce. Absolutely. <laughs> and once it drops on DVD in May, then oh, I feel like I'm goodness. just going to be playing it all oh, the time. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Every day. <laughs> 
Oh my gosh. Wow. So, so this is our last fun question. And it is it is fun yet very serious. Okay. It's a doozy. A doozy. Oh. So, but one of them has to go. Whitney, Ooh. Chaka, Anita, Ooh. or Aretha. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's trauma. You need trauma therapy it's right bad. now. It's horrible. <laughs> We're not right for this. Oh my goodness. Okay. Yeah. I'm. I guess I'm gonna have to go with Aretha <gasps> because I like sing all of the rest of them at the top well, of my lungs. Well, well. Yeah. So I'm. I guess if I had to pick, you had to. You got to. That. That's it. Okay. Okay. That's good. I think that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dr. Joy, for playing that with us. Oh my God. That oh, was fun. absolutely. That was fun. <laughs> so now, hey, t- tell tell our listeners, this is your time to tell us what projects you've got going on, where they can maybe come see you if you're doing a live event or speaking event or how they can follow your work. Tell our listeners how to get on board with what you're doing, please. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so no live events or speaking engagements um, scheduled at this mm-hmm, point, um, mm-hmm. but definitely keep on the lookout because that could definitely be happening. Right. People have been asking for that. So that's likely to roll out at some point. Yes. Um, but you can follow everything that I'm doing from the website, therapyforblackgirls.com. Um, you can find links there for the podcast episodes. Definitely check out the latest one, like I mentioned, because I think that's a quick, short one that will give you a good introduction to like what kinds of things I talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're looking for a therapist in your area, You can look at the therapist directory that you can find on the website. Um, I am, like I said, very active in social media. So you can follow me at therapy for the number four B girls on Twitter and at therapy for black girls on both Facebook and Instagram. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking a seat at the table with us, Dr. Joy. Uh, And of course, we want to thank uh, our listeners as well for taking a seat at the table with us. Let's keep the conversation going. Tweet us your thoughts about Black Girl Magic with Dr. Joy uh, using the hashtag TruthsTable. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at TruthsTable or email us your thoughts at AskTruthsTable.com at gmail.com. Now, don't forget to rate and review the show on iTunes and subscribe on the Satchel Podcast Player. Truth Table is made possible in part by Pottery Studios. Visit Pottery.com for the highest in quality online audio entertainment. Our producer for the show is Joshua Heath. Our executive producer is Bo York, and we have been your hosts, Akemini, Michelle, and Christina. We'll see you soon on the next Truth Table. Bye, y'all. <laughs>